welcome to Conversations About Life. Welcome to Conversations About Life. It's That's what it's called. Ellie. <laughs> I'm here with my friend, Kim Lee. Um, okay. I will introduce you and say who you are, and then you fill in the gaps, correct me, and give your story. Okay. All right. So be thinking about that. Okay. So when I think of who is Kim Lee, I think you are a very compassionate, empathetic, caring person. Um, but you kind of like to hide your sensitivity behind a layer of humor. Am I right? Well, this is where I was about to say this is really awkward, and I think you just proved your point. Um. <laughs> okay. Anyway. I've had this experience. Tell me if you've had the same. Where I come across as bubbly, the social butterfly. I love to meet people. I love to talk. All those things are true. But um, my first impression can be that people assume there's not a depth of character or that I haven't thought about things deeply or haven't processed things deeply or that I'm never sad or depressed. Um, So I think when I – okay, we've known each other for 20 years. Has it been that long? Yeah. I was six. I'm 26 now. Um, Your memory's better than mine. That just goes to show what happens when you get older. I remember when I was little and you were a teenager, you came off as, like, too cool for school. And, like, I – yeah. And I just, like, looked up to you and you were just, like, funny, cool, that girl, until I realized how sensitive you were. And I think the first time I saw you cry, uh, it was over a baby duck, (laughs) which is very on brand for you. I don't remember this at all. We were at a park. It was a church picnic, and there were baby ducks, and you wanted one. You don't remember this? No. Kim, I remember this. this I was so really sad embarrassing for you. story. <laughs> okay. All right. So, who are you, Kim? And then, what is your story? All right. Well, a fun fact is, uh, last year I actually got to spend the summer in Bulgaria, and for our like little one of our assignments, it was kind of like you get to choose a topic pick your topic, and then, like, study it with the scripture. And so the fun thing is I kind of chose the topic of what is my identity? Because, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like the secular culture is so much about identity nowadays. Like, what's your gender? What's your – and, like, so Mm -hmm. much poured into this thought of what is our identity. And sometimes I feel like the church as a result is just, like – whoa, hold up. We don't need to talk about that. That's what the culture is discussing. And so I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. what is a Christian identity then? Because like, you know, we, I I can't define myself the way the world defines us, but like with the church, it's kind of like, well, who are we? It's like, oh, well, we're in Christ. It's like, what does that mean? (laughs) So I spent two months looking at that and um, it really kind of like, I don't know, a lot of it centered around, like, you know, my reaction and my emotions to things and, like, what of my reaction what of my emotions to things are, you know, normal reactions that are God-given and what of those are, like, tainted by sin that I need to focus on. And so, who is Kim? Kind of rough description, I guess, I came up with is like, yes, I am in Christ, but what it means to be in Christ is I am bubbly, I am energetic, and sometimes that does become a fault because sometimes I overdo and I, the bubbly and the energetic to the degree that, you know, it does come off wrong. And so 
That doesn't make my bubbly energeticness wrong, though. It just means it's something I gotta watch. And for a while, I hated my bubbly energeticness because I'm like, ugh. Mm. Yeah, you feel that? Because mm. uh, I'm like, ugh. Like, you know, I'm too much for people. And so, like, I'm like, I hate this about myself. And kind of actually <laughs> in Bulgaria, so last year, it was kind of like a, no, this is like a God-given gift for me. And obviously, it's something that can be tainted by sin. So obviously, it can be taken wrong, but that doesn't make the bubbly energetic wrong. That doesn't make, I'm a very sensitive person. I can cry at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I hate mm-hmm. this about me. I, there's a lot of things that I'm like, I hate this about me. And I've spent mm-hmm. a lot of time hating a lot of things about me that are actually gifts given by God because I'm about to cry now. Just in case you're wondering. Oh, we're, we're four minutes there's no, there's no baby ducks. Um, <laughs> anyway, but like I would hate that about me. Like I'd hate that I'd get so sensitive. And again, it's a thing where like I had to learn like – how to control my sensitivity in a sense of like there's times that me crying probably isn't necessary probably more times than not my tears may not have been necessary i probably overthought half the things and i'm crying for reasons that are dumb but the rooted sensitivity is not bad it is god-given and it's a way for me to able be able to like empathize with people and like be able to like understand people even if I've not been there because Mm -hmm. I feel things so deeply and Mm -hmm. so yes sometimes it's bad sometimes it makes life really hard but -hmm. sometimes it's really really good and it's not something to hate and so Mm -hmm. who Kim is is she's still figuring it out and she's still figuring out what parts of my character are you know Things that I need to work on because, you know, I'm human. I have things I'm going to always need to work on. And what part of my character are actually good, God-given things that I need to embrace mm-hmm. and learn how to use to God's glory? Right. Right. And that's the key. Everything is a strength and a weakness. Your perspective of like, yeah, this has been, this has worked, you know, in my favor and sometimes not. That's correct. But yeah, using it. For your for your benefit and to glorify God, that is basically like that is where your character is. traits that like you kind of use to define you. Base character traits are given to you by God, and like mm-hmm. you have to learn how to use them for good, like for God's glory and for good, and how to not let them use you. Mm-hmm. So. so that desire to understand people and like that natural empathy you have is that what drew you to psychology? Probably. I also just, you know, really like to try to figure out how people think. I'm one of those uh, criminal minds, true crime people. And I like trying to figure out what's going on in their head when this happens. Uh I'm like looking forward to taking an abnormal psychology course next semester. And my friend was like, oh, I hated that. I was like, are you kidding? Like, I love abnormal psychology. Unfortunately, abnormal psychology for me was the like very last semester and so it was when i was getting to that point where i'm just like can i just be done yet yeah yeah Yeah. but you're still interested in abnormal psychology psychopaths you know sociopaths all the things it's completely normal yeah well i mean technically it is with how many true crime docs there are it's not actually normal (laughs) 
Well, okay. Well, anyway, you have a bachelor's in psychology. I do. Yeah. You worked hard to get it. I did. I, yes, that was, that was definitely a time. Uh, everybody said I was crazy because I was working mm-hmm. full time so that I could afford going to school full time, but I had to go to school full time because you got a discount for going to school full time. And I like, I paid my way through college. I didn't get any loans. And so, yeah, I was a full time student working like 45 hours, sometimes more than that a week. And I about went crazy, which is why abnormal psychology for me was like, can I just be done? I'm ready to be done. Like, come on. Just give me my degree already. So Okay. So what did you learn most through that, either through the process or the actual education that you got? I think the most impactful thing for me was my internship. So I got my degree through Liberty University, and uh, I had the opportunity to do 10 days in Greece for my internship. And uh, my big interest is, like, counseling and um, helping people work through traumatic events. And um, my internship in Greece was focusing on sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. So going to Greece and just, like, learning what sex trafficking looks like in another country because like I'd already done some volunteer work with an organization in St. Louis through trafficking. So I kind of already had like a United States perspective, but seeing like the perspective in Greece and it was, it was very different Mm -hmm. was just kind of How is it different? Tell me. Okay. Cause I want to get into (laughs) sex trafficking anyway. And I I also want to get into your trips that you've taken. So let's get into sex trafficking. What does it look like in the U.S.? How does it look different in Greece? Yeah, I want to know what you've okay. learned. I want to know what we ought to know as We're like gonna, the average person. So, my statistics mm-hmm. are from 2015. So okay. disclaimer, my statistics may not be correct anymore. Mm-hmm. Probably are not correct anymore. Mm-hmm. So bear that in mind that these are At the, the time of your statistics, were the numbers increasing or decreasing? I'm not 100% sure. Okay. So okay. I, don't, I don't feel confident in an answer on that. But in the United States, the federal definition of sex trafficking is uh, sex trafficking in which a commercial sex act is induced by force, fraud, or coercion, or in which the person induced to perform such an act has not attained 18 years of age or older. So basically, the federal definition protects anyone under the age of 17 as, like, any type of commercial sex act performed to somebody 17 or younger is sex trafficking. Okay. So. That's not usually what you think of as sex trafficking. You think like kidnapping or transporting across country lines. That does happen. Mm -hmm. But actually kidnapping is kind of more on the rare end. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times, and this is where we get into where both – overseas and in the United States, it can look similar. Um, So a lot of times what you end up with um, is somebody coming into another country. Um, We'll use Greece as an example because I I was there Mm -hmm. and I heard the story. Somebody comes from a poor country into Greece knowing that they have job, like, like with this promise of a job of, hey, come here. We have this job lined up for you. It'll be great. They get into the country and the person takes away their passport, so they now have no identification, and it's essentially like, oh yeah, we have a job for you, it's just not the job we thought you thought you were getting. And so then now mm-hmm. they are 
trapped. Um, another example that I can think of that I heard for, from a story is somebody came into a con- the country and they're trying to get money to send back to their family and the trafficker knows this and so they will periodically show pictures of their children mm-hmm. and say, hey, we're watching your family so please don't try anything. And it's so that's like where the forest fraud and coercion comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, now, unfortunately, these take place not in the United States that I'm thinking of. And so um, that's not protected under the federal right. definition. Um, but that kind of thing probably does take place in the United States as well. Mm-hmm. Another example is, you know, how many girls want to be a model or an actress or a singer? Mm-hmm. So you go to these places where you're promised, like, modeling gig, and right. it turns into something else. That's like, what I've heard. Or, like, hey, if you want to get further in the industry... Take your top go, off. Right. And go, I'm gonna be very you know, <laughs> spend the night with that director. Go spend the night with that mm-hmm. You know, and, like, get, get known out there, mm-hmm. and then they'll hire you for... XYZ. Those are stories that I have heard. Yeah. And so, like, forced fraud and coercion are very, very difficult to prove. Yeah. But under kind the of age of 18 is, um, it's not as hard to prove because you just kind of got to prove, like, hey, sure. by the way, sure. yeah. this person's under the age of 18. So, back in 2015, whenever I would speak mm-hmm. for this organization, um, the Covering House is the name of the organization. So, any other details that you want to know, they, you can reach out to them, and mm. they probably have updated statistics. Anyway, 2015, there were reported to be up to 300,000 child prostitutes. Um, in the U.S. or worldwide? In the like, U.S. Whoa. And that number was growing daily. So that, there, that answers your question. When I was seeking, gotcha. the number was growing. Um, the average age in 2015 um, for child prostitution was around 13 years old. And the average victim would be forced to have sex up to 20 times a day. Um, One in three teens who ended up on the streets, so homeless, um, runaways, Mm -hmm. one in three of those teens would be lured to prostitution. And um, a pimp can make $150,000 to $200,000 per child each year. And every pimp has an average of four to five girls. So those are some of the statistics. And... One of the things with sex trafficking that, I mean, obviously, one of the main thing that differentiates it from, like, drug trafficking and weapons trafficking is that you're dealing with humans now. But when you sell drugs, the drugs are gone. Right, when you sell a weapon, right. it's gone. Pimps can reuse these girls mm-hmm. basically until they're used up. Right. Whether it's because they die or they're too old. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes whenever they start to age out, they can use them to recruit more girls. Mm-hmm. And so, again, another story that I've heard um, is for recruitment, you know, is this is, again, in another country. I'm not, I don't remember which country this is. Um, but a girl moves in with this roommate and because they're both working in this country and the roommate is working one, two times per week and she always has excess money to buy things and just constantly dressed to the nines, looks like she is living the life. Mm-hmm. And this other girl is working more than 40 hours a week just to be able to pay rent. And this other girl's like, oh, do you want to hear about my job? 
Mm-hmm. It's really easy. Come join me. It sounds really promising. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. That is that. Um, how it's different in other countries, I would say, and not every country. Every country is different. And mm-hmm. you can actually, like, go online and find the statistics of each country. Um, but in a lot of especially the poorer countries, I'm thinking of Greece specifically, um, it's, prostitution is not illegal. Mm-hmm. And so I remember one of the things we did was we had a day where we did a prayer walk through the brothel district. That was hmm. one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because they taught you how to identify what a brothel looks like. And you were walking down the street and on either side of the road, I believe one street, like there was over 30 brothels. Now, a brothel is not what we think of where it's like, you know, big room, lots of girls. There's one woman and one madam per brothel. But still, that's like one street, 30 brothels. And people would be in and out of those brothels. Like they're just shopping, like like they're window shopping. Walk in. If they like what they see, they stay. If they don't like what they see, they move on and see what's in the next one. And it's there was no shame because this is normal everyday life. Mm. And so in the United States, there's a stigma against it where it's like it is shameful. So you do it, but you pretend like you didn't. Or you only joke about it with your friends. That kind of thing. So that was kind of like a, you know, having been in the United States where it's like swept under the rug, Hmm. we don't talk about it, to going somewhere where it's like, my lunch break, I'm going to go visit a brothel, be back. Hmm. It's kind of. Wow. Yeah. So there's that. So in your work in psychology, where do you find um, hope for people trying to come out of it? Where do you find healing? I guess, what does the gospel say about those who have been abused, those who have been trafficked? Um, Do you have any thoughts? I mean, my first thought is my favorite woman in the Bible, Hmm. Rahab. That's where my mind goes to first. But then there's also the woman accused of adultery, Mm -hmm. um, Mary Magdalene, uh, Tamar. Um, So... The Bible doesn't hide this. Mm-hmm. Like, these yeah. women are there. Um, we'll get back to Rahab because I can go on about her. Um, but the woman accused of adultery, you know, they bring her forward and they're all like, you know, we need to stone her. She's caught in adultery. What do you have to say about this? Which, mind you, what was originally stated was both the man and the woman get stoned. Right. We only see the woman there. So... I know. It is interesting. It is interesting because especially in that time period, like women definitely had this huge disadvantage because they were just seen as property. Mm -hmm. But so this woman gets brought up and they're like, we're going to stone her. What do you have to say about it? And, you know, Jesus' first words are, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And everybody eventually leaves. And he says, who accuses you? And she says, no one, my Lord. And he says, neither do I. Mm -hmm. go and sin no more so that 
the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. I mean, also another very common story. And again, Mary Magdalene all speaks of there is this hope for redemption. Mm-hmm. There is this idea of there is nothing to be accused Go and sin no more. So obviously there has to be a change in lifestyle. And, you know, granted, most of the time these women weren't looking to get into prostitution. Some Mm. of them do this every day hating it. And so it's not like – it's not their fault. That's another stigma. Let's just put that out there. Is stigma the right word? Mm. Okay, good. I question myself sometimes. Um, It's not their fault all the time. Certainly there are people who choose this as a profession, Mm -hmm. but it is not the woman's fault. And so let's just correct something real quick. These women are not prostitutes. We talked about identity a second ago. Prostitute defines them. If you say that is a prostitute, you have basically put that identity Mm -hmm. on her as Mm -hmm. that is what she is that is what she will be these are women of prostitution okay and i I feel like that's something that needs to be importantly Mm. said that's i can't again i can't remember who tells me these things my memory is just kind of like woo um but these are these are women of prostitution this has been done to them and there is hope for it to not be anymore um, it is very difficult because a lot of time these women will have um, drug addictions. They will have like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say Stockholm Syndrome because that's not necessarily right. But there's a lot of bonds that have to be broken. So yeah. especially somebody oh, yeah. who their pimp provides their money, their pimp provides their clothes, their pimp provides their love and affection. Right. Every single one of those bonds has to be broken. And so that's why you so often see somebody get pulled out of prostitution and go straight back. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Let's keep playing with this Bible stuff. Um, I just totally had a brain fart. You're going to have to help me out here. Um, <laughs> Give me the story. Hosea. Hosea. Okay. <laughs> I got it. Hosea and Gomer. Mm. She gets pulled out of this prostitution. He marries her. He says, I'm going to love you. And she goes back. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know the situation there. I can't impose my own thoughts into what was going on in Gomer's head. But she goes back. Um, so it's something that we see commonly is like you get them out and you're like, okay, mm. you're free. Mm-hmm. And they end up going back because that's what they've come to know. Right. That's what they've come to so, understand is how they are protected. Well, and it can also literally be an addiction. A physiological addiction to Mm -hmm. the dopamine, adrenaline, cortisol, to the highs and lows that go in the abusive cycle. Because often it's abuse and then love and affection just lavishly shown and then abuse. Mm -hmm. So in sex trafficking cases, but also in just, you know, your your typical domestic abuse situation, um, they can literally be addicted to that. And to do something else, it's unsafe. It's unfamiliar. Of course... That situation is unsafe, but that's what they know. That's what their body knows. That's what they believe love looks like and feels like. It's kind of like when you're crossing that like swinging bridge and you cross over half of it and then you're like, mm, both directions are unsafe, but I know that direction. 
Right, you've been there. And so even though there's something better on the other side, I'm going to trust the direction that I know, mm. even if I'm headed into something that might technically not be good for me, because yeah. I don't really know how, if I'm going to okay. make it across this bridge. I learned something the, like recently in attachment theory, which we've talked about before, because psychology is um, really nerdy. <laughs> yeah. But so in attachment theory, you have different attachment styles that develop when you're a very young kid, when you learn how to get your attachment needs met. We all have attachment needs, right? Um, a secure attachment style develops with, you know, a parent who is attentive to you, who was there when you needed them. An ambivalent attachment style may develop if you feel like you had to fight for attention or you didn't feel lovable yourself and had to, you know, earn your love. An avoidant attachment style might develop if you don't trust people. And so you pull back and you avoid and it's not safe to be too close to people. But a disorganized attachment style may develop when there's danger where you're supposed to get your healing and safety. So with your parents, where you're supposed to go for security, you're supposed to check back into them as your home base. If they are the ones who are hurting you or they are the ones who are giving you danger, it's like a paradox where you need to go there to be safe, but you need to be safe because of them. And it's like, it, it is that abusive cycle of like, I need to go to you because you're my home. You're where I'm safe, but you're the one that's hurting me. And a lot of times the first abuse of a woman happens with somebody that she knows mm. yeah. and family. So yeah. a lot of times that first abuse is someone very close to you. Yeah. Which, Which says makes... they love you. Yeah. That's really. So, ugh. but back to the hope. Yeah. We're not going to end on a sad note. Mm, yeah. um, we're going to go to my girl Rahab because mm. I love her. Let's She's talk great. About Rahab. So, if you don't know Rahab, I'll give you the quick rundown of who Rahab is. Rahab was a woman of prostitution in Jericho, which is in Canaan. So, she is a Canaanite woman mm -hmm. of prostitution in a city doomed for destruction. <laughs> In a city where God has said, you're going to go in, you're going to conquer the city, and you are going to destroy the inhabitants because they do not honor me. Um, and so Israel's preparing, and they send some spies in, which, let's just acknowledge, them sending spies to scout the city is really God's provision for Rahab. Because God's like, hey, I'm going to give you the city they didn't really need to send the spies <laughs> at all. true, yeah. <laughs> they didn't. I, I am under the impression that those spies were sent specifically oh. to get Rahab out. I've never considered that. Kind right, of. yeah. Um, I really like my girl Rahab. Um, so the spies go to the city, and it gets reported to the king that there's Israelite spies in the city. And so he's like, okay, well, where did they go? And they're like, oh, well, they went into the home of Rahab. Now, her positioning in the wall, it is speculated, and I am not a historian by any means. I love history, but I'm not a historian by any means. So I could be wrong on this. But it is speculated that her position in the, has a home in the wall was kind of meant she was like the prostitute. Hmm. Maybe, maybe not the only one, but she had this really good position where people coming in, people going out, she's mm -hmm. very well positioned. So that gets told that they're in the home of Rahab. And so they bring some men and they're like, we've come for the Israelites. And she's like, oh, they left. 
they went that way. Go quick. You might be able to get them. They didn't leave. Spoiler. Um, and she had hid them on the roof. And so whenever she goes to get them, essentially she tells them, like, everyone here in the city is afraid. We know what mm. God did to Egypt. Which, mind you, this was 40 years ago, what God did to Egypt. And it's still being talked about. We know what God did to Egypt. And we know that your God is powerful. We're afraid. I want you to, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've hidden you. Please protect me. Mm-hmm. And so they make this promise with her. And so then when God destroys Jericho, which is another great story, if you don't know it, go find it. Because um, we don't have time for that. Um, when God destroys Jericho, he they send and they save Rahab and her entire household because she keeps them in her home. Um, she hangs the scarlet cord out her window, um, which scarlet is associated with women of prostitution. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Fun fact. Um, she hangs the scarlet cord in her window. They save mm-hmm. her. And she ends up not just being saved from this destruction. She ends up. Marrying somebody from Israel, which, you know, she's a Canaanite. Mm -hmm. God says, "Mm mm-mm, the Canaanites, okay? She's a Canaanite, and she's a woman of prostitution. That shouldn't have happened. But not only does she end up marrying someone in Israel, she ends up having a son named Boaz, who marries a woman named Ruth, who then has a grandson named King David, And if you know your lineage at all, Mm -hmm. eventually turns to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So God not only saved her from that city, he sent the spies to get her, Mm -hmm. saves her from the city. He also promotes her to be one of the five women who are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And she's mentioned in Hebrews for her faith. And so that right there is like a show of God's redeeming love towards women of prostitution. Because he could have saved her and said, I'm good. But he saved her and gave her all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a yeah. beautiful display of love, a beautiful display of God's ultimate plan to graft in non-Israelites into his kingdom. And I'm crying again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why Ellie thought I never cried. <laughs> I think we're on round three. You guys only hear two of them, though. Um, but it's it's just very beautiful picture. And for me, that shows that God loves these women who are in prostitution. And God is capable of bringing them out of it. And God is capable of redeeming them and healing them, if not in this world, in eternity. And so... Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. You're going to speak on Rahab, right, in our next women's workshop? I am going to be speaking on Rahab in the women's workshop. I've really got to get going on that because I don't think that was quite long enough for the uh, women's workshop. That's really good. I'm really glad that... That was a little preview. Uh, Our last women's workshop was about becoming a church that cares well for the abused and how the gospel applies to abuse. And what it says, yeah, kind of what you've been sharing, just like, um, and also the church's place and, and being a safe place and being a place of healing. Which is definitely something we need to work on. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I mean, 
we're currently, you and I are kind of going through something about like, how do we deal with women who've had abortions, women who are looking for information about, do I get an abortion or do I not? And that's kind of an area that like in our studies, we've kind of found like the church has kind of dropped the ball. Mm. Like yeah. we're so outspoken that abortion is wrong and don't mishear me. I do believe that abortion is wrong, mm-hmm. but we're so outspoken about abortion is wrong that we become the people that you don't speak to about abortion. Yeah. And so then there's these women who some of them are hurting because of, you know, they got an abortion and they regret having had the abortion and, and they will not speak about it. They can't speak to us. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's not okay. Yeah. We need to be really careful about how we talk about it because the statistics are one in four women have had an abortion and two out of five women who get an abortion went to church in the same month. They were attending church, people at our church and in our church bodies, they have, they've had abortions. They're struggling with this and they can't talk about it, which just further solidifies that that wound and that pain and i tried to stay off of well actually i stayed away from reading posts on facebook i still Mm -hmm. watched reels um but after the roe v wade thing but what i heard from other people is that you know some people in the church reacted well and i'm going to tell a story of somebody who reacted really well in just a second but other people saw posts that said ha ha we win and that is not okay. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes. Not really, though. Um. <laughs> okay. My Well, I, what's the difference between celebrating for justice and, well, there is a difference. And celebrating justice happening and being like, ha, we win, you know. In your face. Like, right, right. Like, we can be that. happy about it. We can celebrate it. At the same time that we show love to those who are mourning about it. Mm -hmm. And this brings me to my good example of somebody reacting. And this is one I did see and one I did read. So um, there is a lady I know who is a midwife. And her post afterwards was, I want to make this clear. This is a service we offered before the overturn of Roe versus Wade. However, I feel like I should put this out here. If you are worried because you can't afford midwife services, contact me. We can help you out. We can help you with clothing. We can Mm -hmm. help you. She's like, I know organizations that will help with clothing. We've provided this before, but even now that it's here, Mm -hmm. it needs to be said. We are here to provide Mm -hmm. clothing. We are here to provide care. We are here to provide the ultrasounds. And Mm -hmm. she... I'm I'm butchering what she said because she said it so beautifully, and I wish I kind of would have looked it up so I could read it straight off of her page. But she said it so beautifully in the sense of, I have always provided this. This is not me just reacting. This is how I show my love to you Mm. and how I want to care for you through this time. And I know some of you are mourning this, but please don't don't feel like you can't come to me. Mm. And it was It was very beautifully worded. Mm -hmm. That is the church, at least a huge part of the church's mission here on earth. James says true religion is to take care of the orphan and the widow. I've been thinking about this so often lately. The orphan is the child without parents. The widow is the woman without 
a husband, right? If that doesn't apply to someone who's thinking about abortion, like I, I don't, most of these women don't have, if they don't have a man in their life, they don't have a good man in their life, right? Who's stable and provides security for them. So we're dealing with children who won't have a father and a woman who won't have a husband. If that's not our place, then I don't know what is. You're right. Exactly. The church has really dropped the ball. And it's not too late to pick it up. Mm-hmm. It's not too late. What to... would be the first thing you would want to see? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the mindset change. Mm. This mindset of, well, this, we'll use the teenager as the example because I feel like, again, Stigma is my favorite word for this podcast. I feel like that's the stigma is the pregnant teenager who is, she has this feeling of shame because that's how the church projects on her. And there is a difference between, you know, having a, like, having a guilt for your sins and acknowledging them. And being shamed for them. And let's also just point out, somebody who does not profess to be a believer should not be treated like they are a believer. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you know, we, we talk to these girls who are pregnant and they don't claim to be a Christian and we still hold them to the standard right. of Christianity. Right. If you can, we of all people should know. Do you remember what it was like without the Holy Spirit? Do you remember feeling helpless to sin? Do you remember watching yourself do things? I mean, do you remember that you don't even realize that you're remembering this? (laughs) Like, like you don't even realize that you're helpless to sin because that's life. And so, you know, we we don't treat somebody who is an unbeliever as though they are Mm -hmm. Christian because. They don't hold to the Christian belief. They aren't going to mm-hmm. hold that. Right. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't. they are not responsible for their sin, but that means yeah. that they're not going to behave like a Christian. Mm-hmm. And we can't expect them to. But then let's say, you know, there is the Christian who gets pregnant and out mm-hmm. of wedlock and they repent of their sins and we shame them. Mm-hmm. Oh, you did this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you have to deal with the consequences. Well, to a degree, yes, but that doesn't mean you rub it in their face. It doesn't mean they have to do it alone. Exactly. Like, we need to be coming up alongside these women and showing them love and support. And I will say I have not personally seen this done, good or bad. I've not personally witnessed either way. But I know, here's my word again, the stigma. I know how the church is viewed in mm. the sense of how they will respond to a woman who gets an abortion. Right. So, like, I I, I work with a lot of people who are on differing sides mm. of this. I have a lot of Facebook friends who are on differing sides of this. And so I know what the viewpoint is. And then I would say the other thing is, I will state, not everybody is in a position to adopt Not everybody is in a position to foster. Those who might financially be in a position to foster or adopt might not be mentally for that, or they might not be called to that, but I do think we need to support that. 
Yes. And if, you know, if you feel like you're called to foster care or adoption, you do need to pray about it and you do need to consider it because if you feel called to it, you might be. Mm-hmm. And that's another area that, like, we've pushed and pushed and pushed for this. And I did see another post that said, okay, you got what you wanted. I better see all of you going to the foster care places. I better see all of you going to the adoption agencies. And so those people who are in that position where they feel like they are called to do this Mm -hmm. should step up and do this. Again, I'm going to state that's not everyone. Mm -hmm. Some people, they might just support the parents who choose to adopt. Which is also a huge need. I think the people who are fostering and adopting, that... That's really difficult. I mean, it does take a special client to do that, and they should not be left to do that alone. No, absolutely not. They should be kind of drop the ball in that area of like we we need to come around those families and support them in that too. And like you know, I'm not a mom, but you are. Motherhood's not a joke. It's hard, hard work. Even with a great husband and great circumstances, I'm like, I cannot imagine doing this by myself. It's not an easy decision. No wonder. Like, yeah. Yeah. And but like I think of like some of the stories I've heard of people who foster and people who adopt and just sometimes how difficult it can be because you know Yeah. a kid in the foster care system, not all of them obviously, but they're going to have some anger because you question why does nobody mm-hmm. want me? Like mm-hmm. again back to attachment theory, the attachments all broken. So their way to find attachment, their attachment needs met, have been sabotaged. They're trying to figure that out. And if that won't cause pain, which comes out in anger or in behavior issues, like, yeah, that's like the easiest pain to understand. So those kids need to be loved. They need to be loved through their anger. They need to be loved through whatever way they express Mm -hmm. this need for love and attention they need to be loved through it until they can be shown how to properly yeah. respond. Yeah, sure. And those parents are the ones who are dealing with that primarily. Mm-hmm. So those parents need support. They need people mm-hmm. reaching out and saying, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And likewise, they need to be okay to say, I'm not doing okay. Mm-hmm. Or they need to be able to say, like, this was a really good week. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of support in that area. But I think it starts with the mindset. Yeah. Well, we could go anywhere from here. Is there a specific place you want to go? Because we were talking, I know I mentioned like before, before I was saved and just like what that was like. Do you want to share your testimony of how the Lord saved you? I mean, I can. It's short and sweet. Um, It's short and sweet, but it also, I mean, I guess we'll get there. Um, No previews. Uh, So I grew up in the church. My dad has been pastor of Rockport Baptist Church since I was one year old. I am 32 now. You do the math. Um, And then forget that I said my age. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. But um, then you forget my age, okay? Great. Glad we're forgetting the age. Um, So I grew up in the church. I, I mean... We went to church when we lived in Texas as well, which was when I was one. Um, so I have always been in the church. 
and growing up around the church, you know, I played in the church basement while my dad worked because there was a time when my mom was the secretary. So it was kind of like bring your kids to work until they're ready for school. And I had free reign of the church. Um, so many fun games there. Uh, hide and seek was the best. So all that to say, anytime the church doors were open, literally, I was there. Um, so I remember two of my best friends, uh, one of them's your sister-in-law. I remember them being saved. Um, and I actually remember years after I was saved, one of them, she was like, well, I think I might've only said I was saved because Sarah said she was saved I don't know if I actually got saved. And so then I actually, I remember I went through a time where I was like, oh no, did I do that too? And so I went through this like whole questioning my faith time. Like, wait, is that a I thing? I can do too. that? Yeah. Oh no. And like, I, it huh. really freaked me out, which, you know, kind of was a good sign for my salvation that that really freaked me out. Sure. But I didn't know that at the time. I was like, oh my goodness. I remember actually, I was remember we were driving home from, I believe, Louisville, Kentucky. And I was ball. So this was years, years later, because I'm driving at this point. Um, I am bawling my eyes out driving on the road. I'm pretty sure my mom was like, this is not safe. She's a terrible driver without the tears. <laughs> um, and here's Kim's tears again, by the way. Uh, <laughs> she's a terrible driver without the tears. Now I'm wondering if she can see. So that was, that was fun, if we want to describe it that way. But anyway, yeah, so I grew up in the church. And so I, I remember I heard this, like, gospel all the time. Um, I don't know the exact age. My parents probably do because I know they have pictures of my baptism. And so they probably know my exact age. I want to say it was somewhere between 7 and 11. I know that's like a pretty broad range, but I don't know. For me, the stories of when I'm a kid, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that happened when I was like five. And my mom's like, you were 12. <laughs> so... <laughs> I am really bad at pinpointing my age for things. I'm like, yeah, back when I was four and my mom's like 14. Um, so, yeah, that goes to say I don't know my age when I was saved. My parents probably do. Woo. Um, but I do remember I was young. Um, I don't remember what the message was about. I just remember I was sitting in children's church. Um Brad and Stephanie Tompkins were running the children's church, those of you who know who they are. And oh they gosh. had this little dolphin puppet. I can't remember his name. And I'm so ashamed that I can't remember his name because he was the best. This dolphin puppet was every week would help tell stories. He was the best. And I can't remember his name. I'm really upset about that. Anyway, I don't know what the dolphin was talking about that time. I'm really making this sound great. The dolphin was talking to me, though. <laughs> or should I say, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dolphin was talking to me. You could take the form of a dove. Why not a dolphin? Yeah, okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I'm listening to the dolphin speak because we're just going to make this as comical as possible, I guess. But I just kind of remember it clicking. And it was just kind of like, a, oh, is this what I've been listening to my entire life? Well, that makes sense. Okay. And so I don't know if it was Brad or Stephanie or both of them. Like, 
I just remember after Sunday school or children's church was over, I spoke with them and they prayed with me. And then it was like, okay, well now you got to go tell your dad. Um, I was like, okay. And, um, you know, my dad talked with me, you know, he, he asks a lot of questions, especially when you're young, just to like, make sure you actually understand what you're saying. and You're not just repeating Mm -hmm. something that you think you should. And then I was baptized and Hmm. yeah, that was it. Um, But this just goes to say for all of you parents out there who think that your children sitting up in the church service are just distracting everyone, they're listening. They might not be listening to everything. Oh, no. Pastor Scott doesn't use a dolphin puppet. No, he doesn't use a dolphin puppet. So you know what? Their their story may not be that the Holy Spirit spoke to them through a dolphin. That might be unique to me. But that all all the same, he does have the kids listening yeah, sheet. Yeah. And I do see a lot of kids using that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I've used that. Um the That's word awesome. searches are yeah. great. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> I listen better when I'm like doodling doodling oh, or, or doing something. So yeah. Um but the kids do listen. The kids do mm-hmm. hear. Yes, you kind of go crazy sometimes because you feel like your kid is the loudest kid in the service. I always feel like my kids are the loudest. I'm like, well, I heard that mom say the same thing. And that mom said, we all think our kids are the loudest. We you all think all your kids right. are. Yes, I've talked to a lot of moms. You all think your kids are the loudest. You yeah. all think your kids are the most distracting. You all get really, really embarrassed when your kid taps me on the shoulder to tell me a story about something that happened that week. <laughs> Let me tell you right now. I would rather listen to a million stories about what this kid went through this week and have that kid sitting behind me in church Mm -hmm. than for that kid to lose that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So, moms, your children are perfectly fine. It is okay that they get upset sometimes because guess what? They are hearing what is being said. I am proof to that. So there we go. There's my testimony. Yeah. Okay, let's circle all the way back. Let's talk about your Bulgaria trip. Okay. I want to hear more about your self-discovery and grow through that. And also, again, more about your journey of, okay, so you were saved young, but you grew over time and just becoming more, I want to say more okay with yourself and more like trusting God's love, which is still a struggle for both of us. Oh, yeah. But... Yeah, you, you, you me asked me that, this? and I'm, like, kind of, like, I did. Um, I wait, can tell. I have grown. What? Uh, wait. <laughs> you mean I'm not as self-unsure or whatever you want to say as I was when I was in high school? Crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I know what you mean. Okay, so Bulgaria. It was a two-month internship in Bulgaria, and it was incredible. Um... So we spent time with the team of missionaries who live there long term. Um, And there were two Bulgarian interns as well, uh, as well as they have Bulgarians on staff. So we were, you know, not like I was living with one American girl and I was living with one Bulgarian girl for that two months. And it was a really cool experience. Um, And yeah, like I said, we... We did have our own, like, um, GPD, which is growth, growth personal development type thing, which is where I did kind of 
delve into identity and what it means to be mm. have your identity in Christ and stuff like that. Um, but we also did um, a lot of other classes, and I don't have my notebook with me. Mm. But like one of them was this uh, like God and me, and so like how how do God and I relate? Mm. Um, one of them was like how to share the gospel and how to be like a good evangelist. And they used a lot of books. And like I said, I don't have my notebook with me, so I can't give you a lot of quotes. This was a year ago. And we've already determined that my memory is not the best. Hence the, you know, age <laughs> discrimination. Not discrimination. That's the wrong thing. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> You're proving your point. <laughs> I know. I'm proving my point. I'm not the greatest with memory. I have notes like at work. Um, I have notes all over my phone. Um, I send the same. So I'm in charge of training at my store. I, anytime we hire somebody new, I literally send the exact same text message every time. I have it copied in my notes because I know I'll forget something if I have to type it up from scratch every time. And we recently changed one of our little procedures for the onboarding process. So I had to type a new message. And lo and behold, I like sent that message, reread it. And I'm like, oh, I didn't tell her what time she needed to show up. Hmm. <laughs> That's a little important. That is important. Mm, so I'm like, yeah. oh, by the way, if you can do this, this is the time, too. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so we I'm were talking about Bulgaria. We yeah. were. Yeah. Yes, I get distracted, too. Okay. Um, what? I know. It's crazy. <laughs> considering, you know, I don't even remember where we started this thing. But we've... Like, you know. We start in Bulgaria. We're back to Bulgaria. Oh, we started in Bulgaria. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I hope this thing is edited some. Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, great. Um, so, yeah. So, basically, the way our date was set up is in the morning, we would have something called Time with the Father, where the interns spent time studying the scripture together. It was really, really great. Um, just kind of having that time set aside for us to just like read scripture, pray, discuss scripture. Then we would have like classes, classes, classes. And some of those classes were learning Bulgarian. I definitely had a breakdown with Bulgarian because I could not get the t sound and I couldn't hear the difference between t and s. Oh God. And so I'm trying to look for spelling for, so the word for church is tsarka, which I butchered that. So I really hope nobody who knows Bulgarian is listening to this because I butchered that. But the word is tsarka. It's been a hot minute since I've said that word. Tsarka, I'm going to not roll my R on that. Um, and so I'm looking for the written word tsarka. And I'm looking for, which by the way, Bulgarian is a Slavic language, which means they have a whole different alphabet than us. So I'm trying to find the s, and I can't find the word with the s because it is a t, and I like <sighs> yeah <laughs> okay, and I mean I'm I'm kind of wondering if some people listening are like I don't hear the difference in what you're saying, then you understand me, okay. <laughs> And I remember that day I had like a big emotional breakdown because I'm like I am never going to get this. Oh. It was horrible. I mean to be fair. <laughs> My biggest culture shock moments also had to do with the bathroom, which was really embarrassing. Oh, gosh. Because I had this moment where I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, trying. I'm like, I know how to ask how to go to the bathroom in Bulgarian. 
But you also have to know how to understand the response. Right. And I didn't. Um, but I did have a translator with me, but she didn't quite get what they were saying either because we were like, hey, where's the bathroom? And the response was, you have to leave. <laughs> and I'm like, I just have to go to the bathroom. I was, yeah. So I, that was culture shock for me because I figured out like a month later, they told me I have to leave because the bathroom is outside the building. Like the entrance to the bathroom is outside the building. I sat there for like two hours waiting to go to the bathroom, waiting until I could get into like somewhere where I could go to the bathroom. And like if I had just walked outside of the building and left like they told me to, it would have been fine. But anyway, so yeah, we would have lessons. Um, some of them were like theological lessons. Some of them were learning Bulgarian. Um, and then our primary focus mission was um something called english club and it's where you have you know all of these bulgarians um well actually no scratch that all of these people because we had bulgarians germans um i think i can't i think she was there was a girl from china uh russians like so many different nationalities, which is amazing to me, but so many different mm-hmm. nationalities would show up and we would teach them English. Thankfully, I was in the advanced group because. <laughs> yeah. So they could communicate. So a, I could. A they could commu- yeah. Oh, no, they could communicate really well. Like, nice. I, I think some of them knew words that I didn't know. Oh, boy. Like, <laughs> like stigma. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so I think, like, they were incredible with their English, Um, but the lessons would be kind of set up as, like, there would be a theme, and so, like, I know one time the theme was, like, words for, like, traveling and, like, airport travel, and um, the biggest thing, really, my group, the biggest thing that they needed to learn was our slang, because we use yeah. a lot of slang to the degree that us interns, when we were like helping teach, if we said anything in slang, we had to write it up on the board and describe what it meant. Let me tell you, that whiteboard was full. <laughs> um, Give me examples. What was on there? Okay. Um, well, blanket statement. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. And that one wasn't used by me. I caught that one. I was really proud of that. Um, I'm trying to think about it. Put it on the board. Yeah. Well, he just walks by and he's like, oh, that sounds kind of like a blanket statement. I'm like, what is a blanket statement? Because I'm getting some looks right now and I'm not the one who said it. So you've got to describe that one. Um, Well, I mean... I guess killing time would be. I, I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't. Remember. That one was never said. But um, I'm thinking yeah. killing time. Um, yeah. oh, I'm trying to think. No, my, yeah. My dad oh, yeah, had no. my dad no, had yeah, examples no. from Romania too of like showing off. That was my dad's example from Romania showing off. Mm. And they like the translator turned to me. He's like, "Excuse me, how, how do you show off?" Like. That is a very American phrase, and we have a lot of them, and you don't realize it until you're realizing that I have to describe what this means. So, yeah, (laughs) fun stuff. But so we would work, and so, like, there would be a lesson, and we'd have vocabulary words. Mm -hmm. We would have, like, little fun interactions. So, for example, one of the lessons was on, um, like, 
disorders. And um, we were supposed to come up with, like, a day. Like, if we were to have, like, a day for, like, some kind of disorder, what disorder would you choose, why, and what would be, like, promoted for that day? My group (laughs) chose um, depression. And so, like, we were like, well, we would have a, you know, depression awareness day. Um, (laughs) And you had to, you know, come up with those things. And so it was, like, really cool, really interactive, like... I don't know, like, it it was fun. And then we would also have, like, activities and events we did with them. And so, like, we would have a game night or we would go to a park and have a party, um, which my favorite story there comes from there because me and one of the other girls were responsible for bringing the snacks. Um, I'm horrible at directions, just so you know. I got lost so many times. Um, Sometimes, like... I was, like, literally two minutes from where I was supposed to be, and I was lost. Um, but we're supposed to get the snacks. So we get the snacks, and we get off at the uh, bus stop that we think we're supposed to be at. And it turns <laughs> out it was technically supposed to be on the next bus stop, or maybe the one after. I can't remember which. Either way, we were on the complete opposite end of the park. We were at the park we were supposed to be at. But this is a really big park. Like, I'm talking, like, very big. And we're on the complete opposite end. And we've got like six, like six two liter bottles of water or something like that. (laughs) We've got chips. We've got soda. We've got (laughs) so much stuff. And it's just her and I carrying all of this. And we're like, okay, we don't know where to go. So we just start walking. And we hit a point where we're like, are we walking in the right direction? I don't know. And so finally we're like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and ask somebody for directions. But in order to do that, we have to ask them, you know, hey, do you speak English? So we walk up to this man and the phrase for, excuse me, do you speak English is Isvignette, govorite li angliski. And I did not butcher that one, I don't think. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I use that one a lot. uh, I I used it a lot, yeah. Yeah. Um, So we walk up to this man and I'm like, you know, Isvignette, govorite li angliski. And he looks at us, and in English, he goes, I think so. <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> that took us back for a second, because we're like, sounds like you do, okay. sir. Okay. It, it was perfect English, too. Like, I don't know if I heard an accent. Just, I think so. Okay. <laughs> do you know how to get to um, and the area we were going, we kind of called the lily pad pond because they were like a pond. It was like lily pads all up in it. So we're like the lily pad pond. And he's like, excuse me. And so we had to describe what a lily pad pond was because apparently that one didn't translate. Um, and he's like, Oh yes, yes. So you're going to go um, oh, I went down the concrete forest um, <laughs> through the tunnel and then you're going to uh, turn, I can't remember what, it was like, it was a really weird direction. And he's like, and then a right and a left and you're there. And we're like, where do we turn right? And where do we turn left? Now, thankfully, when we got to the right and the left and you're there, it ended up being in an area that I had actually gone for a walk with somebody earlier. So I'm like, oh, I think I know this. But mm-hmm. remember, nobody trusts me with directions <laughs> for a reason. But I did get us there. 
We got there. We figured out the right. We figured out the left. And we made it what there. What is a concrete forest? Did you uh, figure it's out? It's like the concrete path in the middle of the woods. So like oh. we were on a dirt path. Okay. And we made it to the concrete path. Maybe it wasn't the concrete forest. It was something weird like that. There was like the concrete. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It was it was really weird. And we're like, oh, okay. And then when we make it, made it there and we got like off the dirt path onto the concrete, we're like, oh, that's what that is. It was, it was hilarious though. Because we're just like... <laughs> Do we ask for more directions or do we just cross our fingers and hope for the best? We'd cross our fingers, hope for the best, and we made it. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of like a lot of what we were doing. Um, and then the final days of Bulgaria, uh, or the, one of the final weeks, we did an English camp, which was in the Rodopi Mountains. Um, beautiful. And it was basically a lot of the same old stuff we were doing, where it was like, you know, we would have an English club lesson. I think we had like a couple of them a day, but then we would also have a, um, what does the Bible say about lesson, which once a month they did, what does the Bible Mm -hmm. say about for regular English club too. But, um, it's cool because like, you know, we had an actual, like, this is what we're doing for what the Bible says about while we're at English camp. But when they're doing it every single month, any of the people who are members of the English club can, like, say, hey, I want to know what the Bible says about this. Hmm. And so okay. they can, like, suggest, like, what they want to do for what the Bible says about, which is really cool. Because, um, I mean. That is cool. Yeah, yeah. It gives people opportunity to, figure, like, to learn mm-hmm. something they might genuinely be curious about. Right. So, yeah, we would do a, what you know, a regular English club lesson, a what the Bible says about English club lesson. And then um, at night they would have a just, like gospel presentation to a degree and it was kind of like you know they started with the fall or creation the fall redemption Mm. um glorification like they they went through it all Mm -hmm. and each night we covered a different topic and so um we would also have like little time places where you know the interns could teach like a hey i'm gonna teach you how to do something that i is a hobby of mine that i love to do i didn't teach one of those because i'm kind of like um well, I like to go on hikes, <laughs> which, and we already have planned hikes. Um, I like baby ducks. Uh, apparently, I like baby ducks. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I work in a restaurant. I want to know how to make a Chick-fil-A sandwich. You want, yeah, you want to know how to make a Chick-fil-A sandwich? Damn, you're making yourself sound really boring, and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but like when you put on the spot of yeah. like, it's like uh, I don't know how to knit, so right, and like like I I don't know I don't have like the hobbies that I have like I, I like to read yeah. like yeah yeah I like to discuss true crime um <laughs> like not really stuff you can teach a class on um I mean I guess technically I probably could tell done true some, crime stories I, I could totally, tell yeah. true crime yeah, stories yeah. but that I'd, might... I'd go to that class yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, so like um, one of the guys was interested in meteorology, so he like does this class on how like how do you identify clouds? Um, what do different clouds look like? It was um, cool. And then like one of the guys is like really good at like financial advisor, so he did kind of like almost like a <laughs> finances class, like investments, like that type of stuff. One of the girls is cro- into cross stitching, and I got to cross stitch, which was fun because. I didn't think I could do that, and I did. It was really great. I'm, I literally ended up, like, sitting 
like outside by the fire cross stitching and like <laughs> I didn't think this was something I would do. Um so there were like a lot of different options of like what these like extracurricular things mm-hmm. are and then every night we would like we had a movie night, we had a dance party, we did karaoke. <laughs> I led the karaoke. I know, shocker, me leading karaoke. (laughs) So much fun. Um, But just different things. And it was, like, just really a chance for us to, like, you know, we've been spending two months getting to know these people. Mm -hmm. And now we're in this, like, intimate setting of we're all together. We're at this camp. And we're just able to, like, really spend good quality time and really build these relationships with these people. And it was beautiful. And I loved it. And so, yeah, that was kind of what I did in Bulgaria. We also got to go to... That sounds so fun. We also got to go to Istanbul, which was really cool. Um, And, like, while we were in Istanbul, we, like, we were there over a Sunday, so we went to church on that Sunday. And there's just definitely something to say. Like, if you ever get to go to another country... Mm -hmm. Find a local church, especially if you can find a local church that, like, holds to the same beliefs as you. Mm -hmm. Like, because there's something really beautiful about not knowing the language, not knowing what words are actually being spoken, but just that sense of worship that you get. Yeah. It's, like... And fellowship with people you can't talk to. And then just, like, hearing, like... Like, hearing from the pastor in Istanbul who, um, just telling us, like, what struggles they have in Istanbul, like, with the church and what it's like to pastor in a Muslim country and just being able to have that time of, like, question and answer with him. It was really cool. So, Mm. yeah, that's Bulgaria in a really small nutshell. (laughs) I see. Okay, this is the first episode that we've done where I didn't write down any notes or like questions I needed to it's ask a because good thing I knew, that I don't know how to stop talking. I knew our problem would not be coming up with things to talk about. <laughs> it would be like, okay, so we've been over an hour now. Okay. So last thing. Okay. okay. Can I make you cry again? I you're... mean, you've already done it like 12 times. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Here we um, go. Your life struggle from what I understand, mine too, probably almost everybody's is it's easier to understand that God loves Rahab and God loves Tamar and Ruth and God loves the woman in prostitution. How do you have, hmm, what I'm, I'm looking for stuff that I can take away from this too. How do you apply that then to yourself? How do you also acknowledge that God loves you and gave you these things that you see as weaknesses for a reason? So another thing that, Bulgaria provided us with is we had five counseling sessions with a licensed counselor, which is really great. I love my counselor. I actually haven't talked to her in a really long time, but she's totally cool with me being like, hey, Mm. I'm kind of having a breakdown. Can we talk this week? Um, And that's kind of how Mm. I meet with her. I don't have like set up things. It's just kind of like, hey, you know what? I think I might need to talk to you. (laughs) And she's really cool and I love her. And Um, Through talking with her, I kind of found out that I kind of have a little bit of a problem with abandonment, Um, just in the sense of I have had friends that I've considered my very, very best friend who, like, I have one who just completely ended up ghosting me, and I spent so much time trying to figure out what I did wrong. Right. And I've, I mean, I've had, you know, obviously, I've never had this issue with my family, and I have so many friends 
at church mm-hmm. that I've like never had this issue with, but like sure. I've had multiple other friends that like it was kind of I thought I was so close to them yeah. and then it just it kind of felt like I just got tossed to the side. And I really, really talked about this with my counselor and we kind of talked about like, you know, she asked me a question. I gave her my answer. I'm going to tell you the question she asked and everything in a second. I gave her my answer and then she responded to that and it took me at least a week, maybe longer to process her response because I remember it was like a week later. I'm sitting in one of these time with the father things. And I just went, oh, my goodness. Guys, my counselor said that. (laughs) And it was just kind of like, why did I not, like, understand? How am I just now processing what she said? So the question she asked me, she Mm -hmm. said, you know, if your biggest fear comes true, your family abandons you, your friends abandon you, and you are completely alone in this world because nobody loves you, nobody wants you. She said, if your biggest, if that ever happened, would you be okay? And I just, you know, instantaneously gave her the good Christian answer of, <laughs> yes, right. I will be so fine because God is with me and God loves me. It'll be all hunky-dory because that's all I need. Like, I'm giving her, you know, that scripted Christian answer and she's not buying it for a second because she just kind of looks at me and she goes, do you believe that? And I instantly had to say, no, I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. Like, no. And so then like what she said to me, that took me so long to process. And people are probably going to hear this and be like, really, it took you so long to process that. (laughs) Um, But she just pointed out that when Christ was on the cross, Christ had been abandoned by his disciples. Christ had been abandoned by those who said they loved him. Mm -hmm. Christ, because of our sins, was abandoned by God. God turned his back on him. And he had the power and the authority to step off that cross and to claim all of that love and all of that acceptance again. No questions asked, nothing done wrong. But because Christ has promised never to abandon us and because Christ loves us so much, he stayed on the cross. And so in that moment where everyone abandoned Christ and Every good reason tells you that he should have just left. He refused to abandon me. And so that is how I learned to accept that love is like, there's no questioning that. Like, you can't come up with a reason why he would stay on the cross when he... You know, yes, he was glorified through his death. He was glorified by us through his death, but he never lost his glory. Like, and so he stayed on that cross and he, because he promised he would never leave or forsake us and because he promised us his love. And so like those thoughts of abandonment, those thoughts of I'm going to mess something up and make myself unlovable. You know what? I might to someone who lives in this temporal world Mm -hmm. i might i might do something really really wrong and cut off my friends and i might not do anything wrong and cut off my friends but like that all-encompassing love of god cannot be cut off and so 
I mean, there's moments that you still don't believe that. There's moments that you're just kind of like, but how? Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to believe it, but like that doesn't change the truth of the matter. Mm -hmm. So there's your answer in the long version. Thanks. Now we're both crying. <laughs> we should take, I took a before picture. I should take an after I don't know if we should take an after picture. <laughs> just like, oh, this is what, oh. Well, thanks, Kim. Yeah. Thanks for being vulnerable. And that's another thing I had to learn to do is be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. well, it's really hard. Yeah. Especially when you're like, well, if people really knew me. Yeah. Would they love me? That's when it's most hard to be vulnerable. Yeah. That was something I definitely had to learn in Bulgaria. And because I am one of those people who, like, I don't handle silence well. <laughs> I learned it really fast because it's like, so what do people think of this? And it's like, silence. And I'm just like, I'll tell you all about my life. <laughs> if it just stops the silence, I will talk. That's... How you get secrets out of me. Um, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, okay. All right. Thanks, Kim. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Love you. Love you. Mm -hmm.